Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Take your seat for a second. I often talk about, and we share, live, love, serve as our core values. But one of the most important parts of our identity statement that gets often overlooked is this idea that we are an ever-evolving community. And not just an ever-evolving community, but we're ever-evolving individuals. We change, we grow, we evolve. And sometimes in our evolution, everyone cannot handle the nature of your evolution. There's some folk who can't handle your now because they handle your then. They get so fixated on who you were and who you used to be, they miss what is happening right in front of them. But you can't ever be ashamed of your transformation, your growth, your evolution, especially when you know those things are connected to your growth in God, to your maturation in God. And it's a word that we don't often use, but to say that I am ever evolving. Who I am right now may be great, but there's still more room for God to do great things. And then... I celebrate, we celebrate that we're not what? Who we were. Who we, I like that, used to be. That's the growth, amen? So learn to celebrate your progress in life. Learn to celebrate your growth in life. If no one else celebrates it, you celebrate it, amen? Good. I want to read something, a scripture today. Um, We talked about Jesus Last week, that's a novel idea, I imagine. We're going to talk about Jesus again because I'm one of those people who's more convinced than ever that we just don't really pay attention as much as we used to. We often quote so many parts of the Bible, but, you know, when I hear people being critical of others, they don't often don't quote Jesus. It's hard to be hypercritical and use Jesus as the reason. It's hard to be hyper-judgmental and condemnatory and use Jesus as the reason. So I want to remind us sometimes. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture. I want to read it in the New Revised Standard Version and in the Message Bible. It's rather lengthy. And that's why I wanted you to have your seat. I want you standing all that time today. It's from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. I said it last week. I'll say it again for the visitors. Mark is my favorite gospel. It is the shortest of all the gospels. I love it because the writer of Mark gets right to the point and says what needs to be said. So Mark 4, 
I want to read verses 1 through 9 and then 13 through 20 in the New Revised Standard Version and then in the message. So just, just be a little patient with me this morning. In the NRSV, here's how it reads. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears hear, yeah, well, anyone with ears to hear, listen. Beginning at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes it away, takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who heard the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. In the Message Bible, this is how it reads. He went back to teaching by the sea. A crowd built up to such a great size that he had to get into an offshore boat, using the boat as a pulpit as the people pushed to the water's edge. He taught by using stories, many stories. Listen, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed and he scattered the seed. Some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some fell on the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds and it, and as it came up, it was strangled among the weeds and nothing came of it. Some cell fell on good earth and came up with a flourish, producing a harvest, exceeding his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Verse 13, he continued, do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil on the road. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches it away. What has been planted in them? And some are like the seed that lands in gravel. When they first hear it, the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But they're in such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulties arrive, there's nothing to show for it. 
The seed cast in the weed represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today and we honor you in this season, oh God, as you continue to unfold your work in our lives and you continue to make yourself known in and through us. Thank you, God, for being such a guide in these times. Help us, oh God, to attune our hearts, our minds to your revealed word and our ears to hear. We love you, God. We thank you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor, and this is a simple title this morning. Just turn to your neighbor. Just tell him, neighbor, I follow a teacher. Turn to the other neighbor. Just simply tell him, neighbor, I follow a teacher. Now put your hands together. There are many titles used in the New Testament to describe Jesus, often in the same variation. On one level, you hear the word Messiah. You may hear the word Christ. They really refer to the same thing, this notion that Jesus is a savior, one who has come to redeem the world in many ways. But there's a title that is heaped upon Jesus numerous times throughout the Gospels that often gets overlooked, especially when we're fixated on the fact that Jesus is Messiah, the Christ, Savior, or the Anointed One. It is this, Rabbi. Countless times in the Gospels they refer to Jesus. Jesus is referred to as a Rabbi, which translates teacher. He's a teacher primarily because there's a relationship that emerges in the Gospels between Jesus and those who follow him, follow his teachings, and that word for them is disciples. Disciples are those who follow. And in this case, being a disciple in the scripture, those who made the decision to follow Jesus, to follow, as I like to say, the carpenter. I've often been asked, why do I refer to Jesus this way, other than the obvious that he was a carpenter. He was doing what he knew Joseph to do and to be, which was a carpenter. In the Greek, that word there for carpenter uses tecton, which for some can mean carpenter, can also mean stonemason. The point is that Jesus was on the lower rung of the social ladder. He was a worker of his hands. In his day, that was on the low stratosphere of the social ladder. That's who he was. I often refer to Jesus as a carpenter to help people keep Jesus in context and perspective, especially those who would want to co-opt Jesus' teachings to somehow become synonymous with social elevation or material prosperity alone. 
This is not shunning material prosperity or social elevation. No, this is the world we live in where there are people with varying socioeconomic statuses and people with various degrees of wealth. If you want to be critical of anything, be critical of the inherent nature of capitalism, which in the inherent nature of capitalism, there are those who must be in poverty. Capitalists do not thrive unless they are also a class of people considered poor. Jesus, the carpenter, as he preaches, as he teaches, is among the poor. You can't bypass this. He is a poor Galilean carpenter who lives under Roman oppression. And from his status, he teaches a new way of being a new way of belonging, a new way to encounter God and to know God and to be known by God. I have to remind people sometimes that Jesus comes teaching and preaching. This does not bypass what others may believe he does. Some may say it like this, he died for my sins and he came that I might be saved. That is fine. But don't minimize Jesus to that salvific act. If that was all that Jesus came to do, that could have been done from the very beginning. But in the midst of his life, Rabbi, he teaches so much so that when you get to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and you've heard me say it numerous times, go ye therefore into the world, other parts of the world. And he said, make disciples, baptize and teach what I've taught you. Teach what I've taught you. I'm going to say that from now until I grow old and can't speak anymore. Teach what I taught you because our responsibility as disciples is not just to follow the teachings, one, but to honor the teachings, two, and to go make disciples, three, which means if Jesus gives this commandment, that means disciples are not born, they are made. Which then suggests that in order to really be a disciple, there must be a willingness to do something that Jesus makes clear, and that is to actually listen. Being a student is hard in this current cultural moment where everyone feels that because they have a Twitter or Instagram account that they are subject matter experts. Experts with no qualifications in some cases and no experience. Just having the capacity to spew words with their thumbs. And depending on the number of followers you get, somehow you're validated not by the truthfulness of your tweets or posts, but by the amount of people who follow you as if you're validated by other people. So strangers then qualify the validity of your words, not whether your words are steeped in fact. There was a time we would say things like everybody's entitled to their own opinions, but everybody's not entitled to their own facts. But in this day and age, everyone apparently is entitled to their own factual opinions. That's simply a good way of saying you have opinions not steeped in truth, but they become fact because you keep saying it. Jesus is a teacher. And if we come here on a Sunday or a Tuesday or any day to learn, we come open to learn. 
someone reminded me that sometimes it's hard for people to come open to learn because we're afraid of having what we may believe messed with, touched. So we come into a place to learn defensive because what if what you learn seeks to undo what you've been holding on to? If what you seek to learn or what it may be learned un unravels what you've been holding on to, the first posture is to then discredit what is being heard, but not actually to dig deep into what is being heard, to see for yourself if there's any truth in it. The fact is, if I've been holding on to it for a long time, I assume it becomes my truth, and no one better ever touch it, or no one better ever question it, and the minute it gets questioned or tampered with, we dismiss the space that is seeking to make us uncomfortable, because at the end of the day, for most people, being a Christian is about safety and security, not about evolution, growth, transformation, maturation, and learning. That's why I love these scenes like Mark 4. In fact, I wish I had more time today. I may pick it up next week. Mark 4 is the beginning of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. The kingdom. It's amazing that in, you read the Gospels, all of Jesus' teachings about the kingdom are not about some reality after you die. Everything that Jesus talks about connected to the kingdom of God is about how you and I live right now in the moment. How we treat one another, how we talk to one another, how we live to one another, how we serve one another. Everything connected with the kingdom. Another time, I'll, I'll, another day on Sunday, I'll preach this. But then Jesus really messes the disciples up, especially those of us who are fixated, who think that the kingdom is some place, some space that you simply seek to go to. I'm not shattering your belief, but then take what Jesus said. He says this, the kingdom of God is within you. And when Jesus says that, he says things like this. If you looked up to the heavens to see if that was a kingdom, he said the kingdom will be called the bird. If you look to the sea to find a kingdom, it'd be called the fish. He said, but the kingdom is neither a bird in the heavens, a fish in the sea. He said, you walk every day with it. Why? Because it is within you. So why would you try to get to a place you already got? Why are you trying to find a place that you simply have to go inward to engage? These are not Pastor Mike's words. These are actually Jesus's words. And also, can I tell you this in case you really want to do some advanced study? In scriptures, Reverend Alicia, you know this, Pastor Keith, you know this. Jesus never says what the kingdom is. He always says what it is like. Because the kingdom, if it's within you, that means it's always shifting. He always says what it is like. So when you get to Mark chapter 4, he is giving parables of what the kingdom is like. And here he talks about what it is like. One image of what the kingdom is like. And this image may not always make sense to us in our high-tech culture. Because this image by the carpenter given in the first century would really would really speak to first century people who heard it because it's an agrarian culture, farming. He said a sower had what? Seeds. And starts to sow the seeds. In the, in the Greek, there's a word there that's called scatter. 
that he just picked the image. And I remember many years teaching this and just imagine the image that Jesus gives of a soul with seeds. And watch this. Just doing this. What? Watch this. It's a season. Watch. And then, then I'm going to hit y'all upstairs. <laughs> See, that image gets overlooked. But you have to start there to understand this parable. Because Jesus is not talking to wealthy people who have an abundance of seeds. He's talking to people that seeds are scarce. And he's giving an image of almost being reckless. If you don't have a multiplicity of seeds, scattering seems reckless. I mean, if you're a poor people who, and poor person whose seeds are limited, the idea of this seems reckless because you don't have time to take a chance. You need to make sure that what I sow will bear fruit. You got to watch, which might suggest why some people are so possessive with the word. I mean, the seed. You want to make sure it works. So you feel compelled to sow the people and then you make sure they get it. And if they don't get it, something is wrong with them. But this ain't the image Jesus gives. Jesus in this parable accepts that everyone won't get it. I wish somebody helped me here today. He accepts that. And when you look at this parable, there's not one time when the sower judges the soil. Oh, y'all missing this. He don't judge the soil. He don't talk about the soil. Jesus just expresses the reality of what happens when the seed fall, falls on various types of soil with no judgment. He don't judge the path. He don't judge the rock. He don't judge the thorns. He just speaks about it because that's not the role of the sower. The sower don't sit around harassing the places where the seed falls. The sower knows. The sower has a primary responsibility. The sower stays in his or her lane, their primary responsibility. Almost without concern. That's what makes it so strange. So it appears that for the sower, the assignment is not guaranteed success. Oh God, you got to hear this today. You mean the sower goes in knowing that success is not guaranteed? And in this image, in this image, it is only 25% of the time. One out of, you ain't, y'all missing this? The image he gives is that for 75% of the time you sow a seed, it won't work. This ain't, oh, let me say it again. These are the words of Jesus, not past the mic. Can you imagine starting a job and they tell you, by the way, you will only have a 25% success rate? 
Can you imagine laboring at a job and being told from day one that 75% of your work will go in vain? That's what we're being told. This is Jesus speaking. Well, 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 well what's the soil, Jesus? Good. A late pastor, uh, I believe his name was Mark, Marcus Anthony, Pastor Anthony years ago, he passed. But he said, I was in the audience when he taught this in, in divinity school. He said, this parable is about ears. This is why at the end of it, he said, those who have ears, let them hear and listen. This is about ears. Go ahead and touch your ear. Make sure you still got it there. You still there? Yeah, all right. Ears. Everybody, for the most part, has them. Some work better than others. But just because everybody has them doesn't mean they hear the same thing. The seed don't change. The ears do. Some seed falls on the path. I like that. You won't really understand this. I'm going to finish soon because I know y'all got things to do. All right? I know y'all got stuff. Listen, he says on, on the path, and we think path. Anybody in here, I want to see my people. Anybody here grew up on a farm? Let me see the hands. We in the city. We got one there. All right. All right. Let me try to ask this. Anybody went to a farm? Just. <laughs> there we go. I know you took a field trip in third grade. <laughs> you know, the, in some farms in Jesus' days, they had strips. So basically, if you go to a farm in the field, you notice there are spaces that you can walk in the midst of it. That you walking and you walking, you know, you plant the seed and you walk. The place where you're walking is the path. It is so trampled on that it's hard for seeds to grow there. They can't root on the path. So you don't drop seeds on the path. You drop them in the soil that seems receptive. Jesus says he scatters this. We scatter. Some falls on the path, which means it is hard to grow. If you ever walk on a path in, in, in any place where people walk frequently, all the dirt is trampled down, the grass is matted down. You get it? This is what he's saying. When the seed falls there, birds come, eat it, because the seed don't go beyond the surface. You only hear what's being said, but there's nothing beyond with that that you've heard. There's no internalization of it. There's no real receptivity for it. It just drops on you. And just as quick as it dropped, it disappears. And you got to accept that if you're the sower. There's some good seed going to get eaten by stuff that's hungry. Okay, I'm sorry. And then, here it is, boom, some falls on rocky ground. I didn't get this years ago, but what it is is that there is some soil, right, that is not very thick, maybe several inches, three, four, five inches, and right beneath that is rock. Here's the deep thing. When you sow soil on that kind of ground, that looks good on the top, you don't see, you don't see what's blocking. You don't realize something is blocking the actual longevity of the growth 
Oh, it hits, right? And it actually, because it's shallow, it roots quickly. And then all of a sudden, it would seem like this thing is working because it roots quickly, which means it sprouts quickly. But it sprouts quickly. And Jesus said, when the sun shines too hard, it dies. Why? Because although it grew fast, it had no roots. Oh, I know folk like that. They get into this thing, they get a Bible, they get it all, they hold on fast. They seem like they went from zero to 100 in the faith real quick. And all of a sudden, then boom. What happens then? This is what he says. They look good at first because now they look like they're full-blowing. And they, they got the scriptures. They got all the things to quote to you until crisis hits and trouble arises. Because it's some folk who hold on to the seed as long as everything is okay. But as soon as it gets a little tough. They start wondering, where is God? Where is this happening? I've been in church. Why is this not happening? Why am I not prospering? No. It dies. And then there's that seed that hits the weeds. So you don't always see the weeds because sometimes the weeds are beneath ground. You can't see. And you hit those. They look like they're about to grow. And I like what you said. Sometimes you get it, and then the cares of this world, the desires for wealth. I want you to say nothing wrong with that. Be clear. Because people think that to be a believer means to take a vow of poverty. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that you are not defined by your possessions. But all of a sudden, you desire these things and concerns that happen, and you're worried about this and that. I know I got some folk in here. You get worried about all these things, and all of a sudden, in the midst of your worrying about all these other things, your faith begins to wane because you begin to focus more on the things that consume you, concern you, than the things that strengthen you and enliven you. This is Jesus. And then lastly, he said, there's that good soil. When that seed hits that soil and begins to grow and it multiplies 60, 100 fold, it just keeps on producing. It keeps on producing. It just keeps on producing. It's good soil. Because later on in the chapter, I won't preach about this today, but Jesus says that the sower plants the seed, watch this, walks away. Because the sower knows that the sower doesn't water it. The sower doesn't bring the sun for it. That God is the one who does this. Years ago, I would tell people to take the Trinity Challenge, invite three people this week to church. I say what? You plant the seed, let God get the increase. That's all we can do, beloved. This ain't heavy today. I just want to let you know. Because there are folk who actually don't read what Jesus says. That means we enter this work knowing that everyone won't get it. Because just because there's a teacher there doesn't mean that all the students are paying attention. And why does Jesus say this? Jesus says, watch this, this is deep. This is what the kingdom is like. So hold on. This is the part that really gets the head nodding. Because what Jesus says, if this is what the kingdom is like, it means that all four of those dimensions exist in the kingdom. Not outside. 
of the kingdom. Man, can you imagine what would happen if we came to church and told everybody who didn't understand, leave? Everybody who's still wrestling with your belief, leave. Everybody who sometimes believes but sometimes doubt because things can be rough, leave. Every ear in that story is in here today. And no one is saying to leave. Because in what kind of, well, what kind of sower would the sower actually be if he could only sow in particular spaces? Because every time you sow, you sow at a risk. Every time you stand to preach, to teach, it's a risk that everyone won't get it. Some people will misconstrue it. People will take what they want, hear what they want, take this piece. If they already came in critical, they leave even more critical. They'll find a reason to be critical. If they came receptive, they leave open to learning. You understand that. So you don't get consumed with how people receive it, what they say, how they think, what they try to do with attack. You don't worry about that. You just simply do your job and your job. And you can sleep well at night, not because everybody got it, but because you honored your assignment. That's what this journey, beloved, is about. I'm done. It's about honoring the assignments over our lives. Whatever those assignments may be, it is believing and trusting that what God has called you to in this season is about your faithfulness to that assignment. You see, it's strange, is it not? Because we're in a culture that measures your efficacy upon your success rate. But in this kingdom work, success is not guaranteed. But it's not the success that you're after is faithfulness to the assignment. Because what the sower never does, the sower never walks away mad at the 25% success rate. The sower don't sit around and look at others who seem more successful and wish that he or she were them. The sower simply honors the assignment. Here's the question, beloved. What's your assignment in the kingdom? We all have various things that we are called to do. We all have various ways that we're called to work. And it doesn't matter what that assignment. I love Paul here. He says, we are body with many parts. We all have different work to do. Everybody is not called to do this right now, this. We all have various work. I'm always humbled on the days I come to this church during the week early and see people honoring their assignment, feeding children in the morning. I'm amazed if I come in on a Friday and I see people who are not getting paid, give her their time packing bags and lifting goods to feed people at our food pantry. I'm amazed at the moments when we have volunteers like today who will go to shelters and create an experience for the Super Bowl for them. And not do it with this backside desire. You go help and say, listen, at the end of the time of helping, you say, well, have you been born again? Do you have a church home? 
Because every time you serve, it's not a time to proselytize. What does that mean? To try to convert somebody. Uh-uh. Sometimes it's just some people who need to know that there's human beings who care. Who care. They just need to know that in a world filled with so much cruelty, there are people who care, who live, who love, and who, oh, you're smart. That's it. That's it. In your humanity, with all the flaws that we do possess as human beings, can you still honor your life assignment? And don't, and I know sometimes we say, because I know, I know somebody right now just sitting here thinking, oh, Pastor, I don't know what my life assignment is. Usually, the one, the life assignment don't stay the same. It shifts. Not based, watch this, on your gift, but on the need of those around you. Sometimes you teach and sometimes you help. I mean, it changes, but the question is, however God has gifted you, can you use that to help someone else? But watch this, knowing that possibly when you do this kingdom work of living, loving, serving, you might only have a 25% success rate. I mean, but, 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 but I, I got to go. I know where I got to go. But, but kingdom math and economics is different. Ain't it? Because you would figure if I got a hundred sheep and one strays, I mean, hey, I still got 99. Jesus said, no. You go after that one. The math don't add up because you would, we would think, well, what about the risk of going after the one? What if I get attacked going after the one? No. And not only Jesus said you go after the one, but then hold on. Those folk who know you and know your love for all the sheep, and when you come back with that one, they ought to be celebrating for the one that was left behind. That's why I love that song because there are a whole lot of folk in here today. You were not in the 99. You were the one that he came back for. You were the one that when other people gave up, God pulled you in. You were that one. You were that one. And when folks don't understand why you serve the way you do, why you show so much gratitude, and why you are willing to help so many people, because you simply have to tell them, show them. I was that one. And God was the one who never leaves the one behind come on everybody stand on your feet today let me tell you something and we get out here there are many things I love we sing songs oh how I love Jesus and 
We sing all these things. I love those songs. But there's something I've learned to love. God, I might get emotional. There's something I've learned to love. Because when I look at my life, and I don't, because see, here's the thing. There's some people who can only look at their life at the points that they like. They can't stand the bad things about themselves. And so they pretend that those things are not real. If you pretend as though the things about you you don't like are not real and you can only gravitate towards the things about you that you like or the things you have other people liking you for, that means you are living a half-lived life. When I look at the things about me that I don't like, the things about me that I, I would hope folk don't know, we all got them. When I think about those things, the reason why I have no shame, Robin, is because God still draws near to me. God still shows me grace and mercy. And guess what? If God is not afraid to get close to me, why am I afraid to get close to myself? Don't live life through the lenses of deception because you have shame. Live life through the lens of gratitude because you've been loved. By God. If you're here today, I know we got to go, but if you're here today, I want to do this. If you're here today and you have lived your life, I want just, just these folk. I want you to be real today. If you have lived your life with deep shame, I want you to come down here today. I want our ministers to stand up and deacons, y'all come on up here. Don't be ashamed today. You've lived with shame. Don't be afraid today. Don't be afraid. If, if you're upstairs, we'll wait for you. Shame of what you've done or shame of how people think you are or shame about things that have happened to you or whatever it may be. I want you to come today. I want you to come today. We're going we gonna, to we gonna touch and agree together today. Because I don't know what that thing is that has given birth to shame. If you come down, we got space over here too. We got ministers, we got deacons. I want you all to get in the midst of these folk today. And I want you to touch on, put your hands on folk. Come on, deacons and ministers. I want you all to come down and start. Because cause it doesn't, you ought, not, you ought not come into this place carrying shame. In the presence of unconditional love, why hold on to shame? And can I tell you something? So many people are discouraged from church 
because church is filled with judgmental, condemnatory people that. No. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. And if that's your testimony, how dare you become judgmental? How dare you become condemnatory? If you know that if it had not been for God, you don't know where you would be, that's when you become the most expressive with your love. That's when you extend yourself the most. That's when you're, you're most gracious and you're most forgiving and you're most merciful and you're most loving. Come on down. I want y'all to come over here. Y'all make y'all way. Just come through here. I want to make sure we get to you today. Something, something Paul says. I got my issues sometimes with Paul, but he said, while we were yet sinning, Christ died. Christ loved. While we were yet sinning. Translation, while you were in the very act of doing something that could be deemed sinful, the love covered you. I don't know why believers have a hard time, why Christians are so hard at understanding that. That's what grace means, unmerited favor. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It is freely given by God. You can't work hard enough for God's love. That's why it's called grace. Come on, let's pray today. God, we thank you. God, we honor you today. We are so grateful for this season, oh God, a season where you are awakening the hearts and the minds of your children, oh God. Thank you for this time, oh God, that you have given us as we seek to be faithful to you, oh God. You know, oh Lord, how you continue to move in our lives. You know the things we've gone through. And God, some of your children have come down here today because the weight has been too much. The pain has been too much. The burdens have been too heavy. The hurt has been too great. The shame has taken a toll. And we thank you, oh God, for this season of reminding us that you are still present, still moving still loving on us, still showing your grace towards us. We thank you, God. We come now, oh God, not confessing how messed up we are, but celebrating how grateful we are. That you look beyond our faults and you see our knees, that you come with open arms. You are like the father of the prodigal son, always waiting to see your child come back, always looking for your children to return. God, we thank you. We thank you this day. Thank you, O oh God, for reminding us who we are called to be. Because no matter what we go through in life, O oh God, no matter what we do in life, O oh God, we belong to you. So, God, we just want to come today just to say thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for how you move on us. Thank you, O oh God, for how you continue to show yourself strong and mighty in our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we stand in agreement that we will not let anyone take us back to the places you've delivered us from. That we will not let people try to throw our past in our face. And that we will press forward. 
But God, as we press forward, we'll be honest. We'll be real. We'll be authentic because we know you like worshipers who are honest about who they are. So we come now, oh God, with no pretense, no falsehood, no fabrication. We take the mask off. We throw away the disguise. We come open to you, oh God. Have your way. Have your way in our lives. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And we thank you, oh God, for how you keep on showing up. How you keep on moving through. How you keep on opening our hearts. Oh God, this is our prayer. And we can say thank you because we know you see us. Hey, and you hear us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 Come on, give somebody an elbow bump, a fist bump. Tell them that you're thankful. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward